If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 59 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, Jeff and I are going to talk about what we see as 10 critical shifts in the market for lifelong learning, continuing education, and professional development. But before we get to those shifts, we want to be sure to thank Avalar, which is the sponsor of a recent webinar, is also the sponsor for this episode of the Leading Learning Podcast. You can find out more about Avalar and its learning solutions at www.avalar.com. And do be sure to go check out Avalar. We're really grateful to our sponsors for making it possible for us to do the webinars. That's one of the forms of content that we try to offer through our whole leading learning initiative. And uh, this being the end of the year and us being faithful content marketers, we wanted to go back and, and check into the, the content that we have offered in the past that, uh, that maybe we haven't uh, spread the word about as much as we should. And one of the things that popped up to the top of our radar screen as we were doing that is a document we put out a while back uh, called 10 Critical Shifts in the Market for Lifelong Learning. And uh, we're about to have our, our trends and predictions webinar come up here at the end of the year. And so we're kind of looking back through that critical shifts document and realized you know, most of that still holds water. We've been, in the, I think, in the, the midst of uh, a, a tremendous shift going on over the past few years, and we're still, we're still shifting. Uh, a lot is still changing out there. So we thought we would actually go back and, and take a look at those 10 critical shifts and talk about them in the context of a podcast. So you know, trying to practice what we teach and take some of our content and make it into uh, new and different content. So, so Lisa, I, I think uh, we decided you're going to kick us off here with the, uh, the first of these critical shifts. Yeah, so what we see is opportunity in the turmoil that is happening in higher education. You know, a lot of folks know that the value of traditional college degrees are, are being questioned increasingly, you know, the cost, the time investment, and then the short shelf life of the knowledge that you gain during one of those four-year programs, all of that is making people question, is that the right way to really learn? And so, what we see then is, is the opportunity or the possibility is to really focus on things like certification programs and assessment-based certificate programs and digital badging and competency-based education because we really see those as a way to provide more meaningful, um, kind of a shorter, uh, you know, from start to finish approach to, to learning. Yeah, I think, you know, more and more as people realize there, there are other ways um, and potentially less expensive and time-consuming ways to get the training and education you need you know, to get into the workforce and, and earn a living, people are going to start questioning, you know, whether college is the way to do it. And I mean, and to their credit, there's been, you know, a lot of buzz in the higher education sector this past year about, uh, and, you know, over the last couple of years about how to really uh, capitalize on this trend within academia, within higher education. So by no means, you know, is higher education sitting still, but still, you know, as you said, that first point, the turmoil in higher education is going to create opportunities. And we should mention some of those opportunities might be partnerships with uh, higher education, um, you know, not just uh, offering the, the alternatives to higher education. So something every organization needs to look at. So that's number one. Number two, we think, is that every organization is potentially an international organization. So, you know, in spite of all the growing uh, criticism of our education system, which we you know, referenced around the, the first point there, 
people globally still look to the U.S. as the gold standard in educational credentials. And so the types of credentials we've just been mentioning, you know, the certificates, the, the digital badges, those have global value. And really, it doesn't matter, you know, how small you are. We've gotten down to, you know, single individuals who have a global presence at this point. Certainly, a small organization can have a global presence. And, you know, and to the extent that you maybe don't want to think internationally, if, for instance, you are a, a state-level organization, well, I think every state-level organization can now be a national organization. And we're seeing that happen in a lot of markets where state lines are blurring and an organization in one state is, you know, starting to claim uh, uh, customers, if not members, from other states. So, you know, thinking beyond your traditional borders is probably what's wrapped up in this point. Every organization, potentially an international organization, potentially thinking beyond, well beyond the traditional borders where it's provided service before. So the third shift is that learners and employers will increasingly seek continuous competency. And so, you know, now the world in which we live really demands um, that we have to continuously be revisiting um, our skills and knowledge. So, you know, what we learned, you know, decades ago in a four-year college doesn't necessarily uh, suffice anymore. And so, uh we have to think about what happens once we leave college, if we go to college uh, at all anymore in the future, and and make sure that we have ways to kind of con- constantly retool and really rethink and be uh, gaining the knowledge and skills that we need. And uh, I think that associations arguably are really well positioned to help serve people in that other 50 years, that sort of time period between when you might traditionally finish uh, college and when you might die, that associations have a toehold there. They are known to their members, and so that is a a good place for them to help folks with that continuous competency. And I think it's a place to target very soon if you're not already as an organization. Um, Certainly there are commercial providers who are starting to come into this space and, and meet that need. We had Kelly Palmer, who is the chief learning officer of Degreed, on the show a while back, and we can link back to that episode. But you know, the whole model of that company is to provide a place where learners can access different learning opportunities, but more importantly, keep track of them and you know, document basically that they have been engaging in different types of learning to build their competency, both formal and informal. And this is certainly something they can show to their employers, and that employers, you know, are increasingly taking advantage of as a platform. So. So uh, learners and employers increasingly seeking continuous, continuous competency, definitely a shift that organizations need to tune into. That's number three. Number four, we're saying is that relationships with subject matter experts will be different. And in fact, they, they already are different in many instances. Uh, you know, on the one hand, the, the subject matter experts, the, the people that you've typically counted on to present at conferences, to write papers, to do webinars uh, for organizations, you know, those people now have more opportunities than ever for producing and delivering content on their own. And arguably, they don't need uh, an association as a channel to the degree that they used to. You can, for example, look at um, companies like uh, Udemy, uh, who recognized this as as an opportunity in the marketplace and have provided a platform to make it easy for subject matters to 
publish content, but not just publish it. They provide the marketplace for it. So it's easy for those uh, subject matter experts to find and connect with customers and actually make sales around their intellectual property, the uh, the learning experiences that they're creating. If you haven't checked out Udemy.com, definitely go have a look at that. And there are a number of other companies that are doing you know the, the same thing. Um, you know, at the same time, learners are demanding more of subject matter experts than ever before. And, you know, we've made the point many times that most subject matter experts are just that. They're experts and their subject does not mean that you know, they have ever been trained to be good educators, to be good teachers. So, you know, more and more to the extent that uh, organizations are uh, working with uh, subject matter experts to deliver content helping those subject matter experts consciously, you know, providing some, some training for them, um, some support to help them become better teachers, better facilitators, you know, I think that's something that's going to need to happen. So, you know, really stepping back as, a, as an organization and saying, okay, how do we support our subject matter experts better as teachers, as facilitators, and how do we potentially create new economic opportunities with them that recognize, you know, the kind of leverage that they now have as suppliers of the, the learning experiences that we're offering? So that was number four, the relationships with subject matter experts will be different. And I think number five um, picks up on that, which is that organizations need to invest in the education talent. So with the subject matter experts, we're sort of looking at the those um, folks who are volunteers and outside the organization. But now the organizations need to look at what talent they have uh, within themselves. Uh, traditionally, the management of an education business had a lot to do with logistics, things like uh, project management. Well, now with all the shifts and changes that are happening, really deep knowledge of effective learning principles um, and skills and things like strategy, marketing, and technology, all of those have gotten to be very important because the market is now so much more sophisticated and competitive. So organizations need more education staff in terms of numbers, and I think they also have to look at the caliber of the education staff that they have. So really investing in those folks, um, the ones that you already have, maybe really focusing on professional development and growth for them, or uh, looking at what it will take to bring in some of that talent. Um, and part of this will then allow the organization to not have to rely solely on subject matter, matter expertise from outside the organization, but to have some in-house subject matter expertise um, can also be really important. And one of the parallels that we see there is, you know, if you think about what Netflix has done with with original programming, you know, they've uh, decided they're not just going to be kind of, um, you know, a distribution uh, network. They're going to actually create some content themselves. So uh, similarly, I think associations can think about we're not just going to be kind of the the channel that those subject matter experts use. We're going to actually be really putting thought and putting out our own um, subject matter expertise. I think that's going to be incredibly important. And, you know, so that's that's five points that we've covered so far. I'll do a little recap uh, partway through just to, to make sure everybody's kind of uh, in, in tune with us. So we started out with, you know, the turmoil and higher education creating opportunities. That's number one. Number two, that every organization is potentially an international uh, organization. Number three, that learners and employers will increasingly seek continuous competency. Number four, that relationships with subject matter experts uh, will be different. And then number five, as you've just covered, that organizations need to invest in education talent. Number six is another area of investment, uh, and that one is sales. Organizations need to invest in sales skills. And I think we recognize that, you know, it's an increasingly competitive marketplace out there for lifelong learning, continuing education, professional development. And for most organizations to thrive, you know, solely with that 
kind of retail business to consumer sales model that they've traditionally had, you know, selling to individual members, um, you know, that's, that's going to be difficult as a, as a way, as the sole path to surviving going forward. You know, most organizations are going to need to be able to sell in quantity to other organizations, and that might be corporations, it might be, you know, health systems, if you're in that field, might be government agencies. Um, you know, in, in many instances, they're also going to benefit by being able to deliver more customized and premium priced solutions to those sorts of organizations. But doing all of that, you know, traditionally to, to put out the catalog, to send out the, an email, you know, that sort of thing, that, that's not going to cut it for those sorts of sales. It's going to require a, a level of selling skill that most organizations simply don't possess. So, you know, whether that means training current staff to the extent that they're open to it and, and motivated uh, to do this sort of thing, or whether it means, you know, actually bringing in a, a sales or a business development person, which we found we increasingly recommend in some of the consulting engagements that we've been involved with. But however you do it, you know, investing in selling skills for your organization to really be able to fully tap this new market for lifelong learning and continuing education. So Jeff, you were just talking about the need to be able to to sell. Well, shift number seven talks about the that we're going to have to be able to demonstrate impact, that that demand for demonstrable impact is just going to grow. So even once you can convince people that you have the right uh, learning option for them, you need to be able to actually show that. And because there now are so many free and low-cost learning uh, options out there on the web, uh, you know, learners uh, directly and then the those folks employing those learners Everybody wants evidence that your educational programs are really promoting change, that they're moving the dial. And so what we've seen to date is that most organizations aren't really measuring educational impact uh, in any significant way, and, and we really think this has to change. And, and we think that what's happening in the medical fields, um, in the areas of quality improvement and performance improvement, may be kind of a, a, a model that we can pick up and apply in other fields and industries as well. And, and we think, you know, this this item itself, which is number seven in, in the list we're discussing in this episode, we found it important enough that we've actually we've actually done a whole episode on impact, and, and we'll make sure that uh, we link to uh, that episode as part of the show notes. And in fact, we'll link to a number of things as, as part of the show notes for this episode, and you know, including the the text of uh, the, these different points that uh, we're going over. So that was number seven, the the the, the need to demonstrate impact. Number eight. Uh, is that knowledge management and education are merging. So, you know, we, we've seen evidence of this sort of merger repeatedly in, in client engagements over the past uh, two or three years. You know, as we've got this kind of richer understanding of learning, organizations want to be able to empower their learners not only to participate in formal educational experiences, but also to rapidly find, you know, the documents, the videos, the discussions, and the wide range of other knowledge artifacts that they produce and manage, you know, so the the types of informal learning experiences, um, the, the blending of different types of learning formats. Um, you know, they really want to be able to do that. And that kind of ties back to the discussion about, you know, supporting continuous competency. You really need to be able to provide, you know, the, the range uh, of different uh, knowledge sources for uh, organizations to, to uh, for individuals to actually be able to access those. Now, you know, we have found so far that, you know, most of the technology vendors have been... A, 
really a little slow on this challenge. We still find it a little clunky in most instances. For instance, you know, in an online learning uh, traditional LMS type platform to also be accessing, you know, other types of knowledge, documents, uh, and, and managing um, those effectively, and particularly managing search um, across the, the various uh, places where organizations are going to are going to keep those types of, uh, of knowledge uh, objects. But it's getting better, and you know, we we think that uh, we're going to see more and more focus on really, you know, that the platform that organizations uh, uh, deploy really not just being education management systems or learning management systems, but, you know, full-blown incorporation of knowledge, you know, learning, uh, social, you know, everything that, that people are doing now to, uh, to tap into the knowledge they need to, to do their jobs and live their lives well. So number nine is blurring and blending will define the user experience. And Jeff, you were just touching on some of that in terms of, you know, there's the kind of informal and social learning and things like discussions or a little um, video uh, tutorial versus the more in-depth, fuller-blown learning experiences. And, you know, we're seeing this with technology, too, that, you know, we've got uh, the growth of of mobile um, technologies. We've got the growth of social media. We've got... um, traditional media like like television that remains and then we have emerging technologies like wearables and and all of this is really leading to this always on you know 24/7 kind of approach to learning and so you know the information that flows with this increasing ease from device to device is is impacting the way that we learn and you know so now you can be thinking about uh, what you need to be learning while you're standing in line somewhere, uh, you know, at Starbucks or at, uh, you know, at a uh, waiting for your um, metro, and and so you can actually buy that product that you need right there, and then you can um, consume that educational purchase while you're, you know, on a flight, and and so all of these things have are kind of changing and blurring and blending the ways that we uh, learn. And so things like, you know, flipped learning and the the lines between the classroom and the screen, all of these things are, are blurring and getting a little bit fuzzier. So organizations really need to have a plan for connecting with their members and their learners. Um, and this has just become absolutely critical. And I, I see it happen all the time in my own life. I often talk about, you know, being uh, listening to a podcast, you know, so I'm, I'm walking down the street, getting some learning via a podcast, a book will be mentioned, you know, I'll automatically go and buy the book. And I'll often get both, you know, the, the text digital version of the book. And then, you know, Amazon has this fantastic whisper sync feature that also gives you the, the audio version. Um, and then you can, you know, seamlessly go back and forth between reading something and listening to something. And I'm sure there are ways that, you know, you can be watching something too. Um, so, you know, complete blurring and blending all over the place uh, around how we're accessing and, and, and making use of, of learning and something that organizations have to have more and more in mind. So that was number nine. And then we'll top this off with uh, number 10. And we describe this as risk uh, being more essential than ever. But when we say risk here, we're not actually talking about the traditional R-I-S-K risk, though that is indeed essential. Organizations do need to be trying out new things, um, certainly. But this is actually an acronym, R-I-S-C. And so it's the ability to combine rapid intelligence, which is the R-I part, with strategic confidence. Um, and we think that's going to be increasingly critical, mainly because you know we've seen again and again that the winners in specific learning markets are able to detect market trends early and respond in strategic ways. And you can say that about business in general, uh, learning 
as a business, and uh, at least in, you know, in the adult learning world. And so you know, being able to spot those trends and, and respond uh, appropriately is more and more important. And there, you know, there are a variety of tools out there to help organizations with this. You know, plenty of different analytics tools that you can you know, use on your, on your web traffic, on your social media analytics, um, to what's happening with your emails that you send out. There are you know, low-cost feedback systems out there, like a, a company like iPerceptions, which has a, a 4Q, 4Q tool, which stands for four questions, which you can still get for free and install in, in your website and ask visitors when they're coming to your website uh, for uh, information that, that's defined by those questions. So you know, there are just plenty of different ways to you know, extend and, and, and strengthen um, you know, your, uh, your marketing research methods and become much, much more uh, agile. Um, one tool we use for this is something we call the Market Insight Matrix, and, and we'll uh, put a link to that uh, in, the, in the show notes as well. But in, in general, you know, organizations just need to get more adept at using the, the, the tools that they have available to them, testing new ideas quickly, and then moving to full implementation with decisiveness. You know, so don't linger too long. Um, you have to have that strategic confidence, but that strategic confidence is, belt, is built on getting that intelligence rapidly on an, on an ongoing basis. So that was the 10th of the 10 critical shifts in the market for lifelong learning that we set out to go over. Jeff recapped the first five, so I'll just quickly recap the, the last five. So organizations need to invest in sales skills. Uh, the demand for demonstrable impact is growing. Knowledge management and education are merging. There's the blurring and blending um, which are defining the, the current user experience, and then risk that rapid intelligence with strategic confidence is more essential than ever. So we'll post all the things that Jeff was mentioning in the show notes to um, this episode. And as we're exiting, we want to say thanks to Avalar for being the sponsor of this episode of the podcast. And you can find out more about Avalar at www.avalar.com. And we do encourage you to, to come and check out the, the show notes. You can find those at uh, leadinglearning.com slash episode 59. Um, and, you know, as Lisa said, you'll be able to access some of the documents that we have mentioned here. Um, but we'd also encourage you to comment there. You can comment there and, and, and share with us, you know, what, what have you been doing relative to these shifts? What other major shifts are you seeing? What are you planning for in, in the coming year to make sure that, you know, you're really going to be able to capitalize uh, on that opportunity in the market for, for lifelong learning? We'd love to hear about that from you. And while you're there, you will see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of the podcast, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. And to do that, all you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. That helps us know that uh, you're getting value out of the podcast. And it also makes it easier for others to find the podcast. Last but not least, please consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, you can pick another social network of your preference and spread the word that way. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. <laughs>